Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, an international menopause expert, author, and speaker. I help women go from feeling uncertain, uncomfortable, and struggling to experiencing a new sense of confidence, freedom, and vitality. My own story mirrors that of thousands of women that I have connected with through writing my book, speaking engagements, and coaching. Like you, I felt unprepared, unsupported, and at times dismissed by family, employers, and even doctors. That's why I created this podcast as a place of advocacy, offering facts, resources, and a community where you can become more empowered to take control of your menopause journey. Join us each week as we dive into honest, open, raw conversations on the topics that matter deeply to menopausal midlife women. From our changing bodies to our relationships, to dealing with menopause and aging at work and in society. My mission is to help you to tap into our collective wisdom so you can emerge more powerful, wiser, not just older, thriving and ready to embrace wholeheartedly the next chapter in your life. Transitions. Menopause is possibly the biggest life transition that a woman will make in a whole life journey. But how do we navigate it well? How do we embrace that transition? And that's exactly what my guest and I today are going to talk about. She is a transition life coach. She's someone who works in the field of transpersonal psychology, and she's helping other people to embrace their opportunities and the creativity that transitions afford us. I'm delighted to invite to the show today, Karen Randall. Welcome. Thank you, Clarissa. Thank you so much for having me. I am excited to be here and to talk with you about this amazing opportunity that women can choose to embrace in their lives. Indeed. Tell us your own journey, because I know that you left a very successful career to actually work in the field of transition and transpersonal psychology. I did. And this did come out of my midlife transition. And for me, the time of my children leaving the home was really the hardest part for me. My physical menopausal symptoms were not as significant But this time of realizing that the life that I had had was gone and that I didn't know what was next was really challenging. And it did lead me ultimately to leaving the world of business where I had spent 30 years in finance and executive management and accounting, going back to school and getting my master's in transpersonal psychology. And as part of that, spending a year researching the process of transition and then applying transition to what happens to women in midlife. And then I came out of that and then spent some time thinking about how am I going to bring this message to women? How can I get this to women? And that was when I became a life coach, a transition coach, and started working with women, both individually and in groups, and using a lot of creativity, creative process, in order to open up the ideas of things can be so much different. We can choose to do this time in our lives very differently than historically it has happened. 
that's wonderful. And I think that's one of the things I think we are, and I wonder how you feel about this, that the first generation of women who can truly have a different type of midlife than our mothers, let alone our grandmothers had. Yes, I do think that that's true. And and I think that, you know, things like this podcast and others that are similar and books and people talking about it. I heard a podcast that you did about the menopause cafe and having conversation and having conversation with different generations is part of what is allowing that to happen for us to all say, what do you mean we're going to just slide into the shadows? Heck no. We've got so much life left ahead of us. We have so much to offer now. And we're not going to just hide away. We are going to step into it big time and take all of this wisdom that we've accumulated and this creative energy, and we are going to make a difference in the world. And I think that's becoming more and more evident as we, even as we speak now, I mean, You've got a vice president who's 55 years old. I mean, and she's vibrant and she's, she comes across as a, a young person, not a, a staid older person. Exactly. Exactly. And I think so much of that happens inside, right? That is, well, in, in the type of coaching I do, we call it that ideal model. So we have an ideal model, which is the way that we see ourselves and the way that we describe ourselves to the world, right? We paint the picture by the clothes we wear, the way that we style our hair, the way we move our bodies, the way that we interact. And it used to be that when women would go through this time, they would just kind of shrink back and lose that power. And we are... I think, claiming a different ideal model for ourselves. We are saying, no, we have so much to offer. We're seeing that inside of ourselves. And so then we paint that picture for other people to see us in that same way. I think so, definitely. I mean, we, it's evident that we are not ready to pull on what I call granny pants, you know, with elastic, <laughs> elasticated pants. <laughs> yeah, although although they're sometimes the most comfortable things in the world. Yeah, we're choosing not to. <laughs> but we don't ha- we don't have to do them, and we don't have to fade into obscurity. And I think, particularly about my paternal grandmother, I mean. She was the epitome of that kind of a woman who shrank back. I can't remember her out of an apron. She mostly cooked and her life was very small, yet she'd been a nurse on the front in in the World War One. She had been a strong woman and yet she would have been in her 60s and 70s when I was a girl. She just faded away and she was dismissed. Dismissed and that... I mean, that is a hard thing to overcome, right? It takes internal knowing that I am more than that. And then the power and drive to say, no, I will not let you ignore me. I will not let you dismiss me. Because there are many messages still in evidence in our culture that tries to tell us that we don't have value and that we are overlooked. 
and not necessary. And I will tell you, and you probably have experienced the same thing, Clarissa, but from my time working in the business world, there is no employee that I would rather have than a postmenopausal woman because she is smart, she is dedicated, she is experienced, she has discernment, she has wisdom. And you cannot teach that to somebody, right? That is something that comes from time and from going through many life experiences. Yeah, and those life experiences are rich. They're not all just corporate life experiences. We brought up children. You know, we, we're, we're experts at diplomacy. <laughs> exactly. And of multitasking and determining, you know, triage. What's the most important thing in every single moment? I had three daughters and moving from two daughters to three, two kids to three, you realize it's all about triage. At any point in time, what has the most importance? <laughs> and, and, you know, when you're doing that day in and day out for years, that is a gift. That is a strength that we can use in the rest of our lives. Yeah, we, we tend to get things done. Women are very, particularly as we're a, bit, a little bit older, we're not flustered, we're okay. And I'll just tell a funny story because we've been selling property, as you know, Karen, and some of my listeners know we're moving and we sold the last one. The, the closing date is this Friday. So my husband said to me, he sort of goes, I need help with packing. And I walk in and I was like, we haven't done anything in here. <laughs> so, two, so two hours later, I had packed all the kitchen cutlery, all the stuff in the bathroom, all cleared the cupboard, had packed everything up, sorted things into boxes, said, I think we can leave now. And he goes, oh, my God. <laughs> He said, you're amazing. And I'm like, well, do you want it packed by the time they're coming in a few days' time or not? <laughs> you know, I have I have a similar kind of story. And that was when my kids were all at home. And, you know, there was always those things that would come up where there was like not a clear answer of how we were going to get three kids to three different places at the same time, you know, and always there had to be problem solving and, you know, tapping other resources and everything. And I just got so tired of it. I'm like, I'm just, I'm not going to do it anymore. He could do it. The kid's dad can do that, you know? And then I quickly realized that it wasn't that he didn't want to do it. It's that he didn't have the ability to do it. And that it was actually something that I had the skill and the ability to do it because that was in my skill set. And I think that there are so many things like that, that women have in our skill sets that we just take for granted and don't realize the value of them. No, we're actually really amazing at, at that as women. And it's very rare to meet a woman that is not capable of doing that. And I think that comes to the fore in midlife, doesn't it, more than any other time? I think it is. I do think it really does. Recently, I think I shared this with you. My, I have aging parents who are both still alive. And up until recently, I've been in very good health. But my mom has developed an extremely serious case of shingles. And this has been going on for about two and a half months with excruciating pain. It has had a significant impact in their lives and in their ability to navigate independently. And so I, all of a sudden, in addition to having a business and teaching at the university level and doing podcast interviews like this 
and I'm the grandmother to seven kids. And so taking care of, you know, supporting my daughters with that, I'm also primarily responsible for my parents' care, you know? And it's like, there is an end. There is, right? We all realize when we get to that point where there's too much. And we have all pushed past that for long periods of time. And I think that is one of the things that comes to us in midlife too, is this understanding that we have the choice and we can make other decisions about how we deploy our scarce resource of time and energy. I totally agree. And I think that is one of the biggest possible lessons that women have to learn in this time. Because it's a great opportunity, but we are very strung out as we go to this midlife point. Yes. And I'm not sure if you experience this, Clarissa, but I I would say that one of the biggest physical changes that I noticed was decreased ability to just push through. You know, my your adrenals have to take over so much when you go through menopause. And that limits your ability to call in all that cortisol to just keep pushing everything through and making it happen. And so we are invited (laughs) and maybe (laughs) the invitation is sometimes like, you know, a slap upside the face that you cannot continue to push through like you have maybe for the rest of your life. Your body just is not going to allow you to do that anymore. And so there's the invitation for the lessons in that, right? What can we learn from that? I agree. And I think that's one of the gifts that we get. If we get it, it's an insight and a sense of knowing ourselves. Unfortunately, as you know quite well, Karen, a lot of women don't go there. And that's why we see a lot of statistics around stress and burnout. But it doesn't mean that that window of opportunity isn't there. That's absolutely true. And even if it does go to the point of burnout, then it's an, another chance, right? We keep, we keep getting the opportunities throughout our life for these lessons. And every time it's just another chance to say, okay, I, I tried to ignore it and tried to ignore it. And this time I'm going to listen and I'm going to see what there is for me. You know, what is the wisdom? What is the gift in this for me? I agree. And that's just a beautiful space, the gift. I wonder if we could hold that gift and know what it felt like, Karen. Yeah. And that's what, you know, what I really want to share in terms of our perspective about menopause is that it is a gift, you know, and that's not to say that there isn't really challenging things that come with it. But so much of those challenges have to do with this perspective that we have inherited and that we're trying to unwind. It is a time of power in our lives. And if we look at indigenous cultures, I mean, there was ceremony and ritual to celebrate and also to grieve, right? Because they go hand in hand. We have to grieve and let go of what what we're saying goodbye to in order to create space for what we're stepping into. That is beautiful. And I think that's an area that often gets overlooked, doesn't it? We get very caught up in the physical symptoms and and to a certain extent, some of the mental aspects of menopause. 
But the actual emotional journey is far greater, as you've alluded to here, that there's grief in the midst of celebration. Yeah, because in all of it, this is such a a rich concept from the world of psychosynthesis, which is the type of psychology that I practice. There is a concept called both and, which is there is truth in, in the dichotomy, right? We always think of the polarities, but there is truth in both of them. They can both be true. You can be true here and here. It's the both and. And we so often you know, think of the menopause as it is the negative. It's the ending of your years of fertility. It is the hot flashes. It's the losing your figure and your skin and, you know, all of that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And it is stepping into the wisdom of this time in life and the opportunity to really focus on using those gifts and growing the ones that you've always known that there were there and you couldn't focus on. There is so much richness and opportunity in this time in life. There is. And I think that you touched on traditional cultures is very interesting because we know that in some traditional Indian cultures around up in Kashmir, they hold the concept of duality or, or you know, this dualism so that you can feel your sensations from hot to cold in the body at the same time. You can feel two sets of emotions, maybe not totally simultaneously, but certainly within the same day or hour, we can feel grief and we can feel joy. We have that ability, but we don't often use it. Right. And I, I think a great example of that is when you think about what often happens when a loved one passes. And of course, there is great sadness. And yet, how long does it take until there is laughter in the memories also? And, you know, it's the both and. It is the grief and the joy that you had the opportunity to have this person in your life. And that is true in all of these transitions, all of these passages in our lives. There is the challenge and there is the joy that comes out of meeting that challenge and growing and becoming bigger and wiser because of it. Yes. And and there are certainly definite stages, aren't there, to transition. It isn't like it's one to the other. I know you talk about four stages. Tell me a bit more about those. Yes. So I like to describe these stages in terms of color because that seems to, that seems to resonate more with people. And so the first stage is the red stage. And that's when there is an ending of some kind. And so, you know, for many of us, it can be when children leave home, when you have your last period, when you have your first hot flash, you know, you know that you have ended a period of your life. And sometimes we think that endings are very sudden, but honestly, endings are almost always something that takes time. And there's lots of details that happen. Like, you know, when you take your kids to college, you're planning for, you know, it's three months ahead of time that you need this, you need that. There's all of these things that happen. And then finally, you take them and you finish up those last details. You're shopping while you're there for everything you forgot and you come home and then 
you wake up that next morning and it's like, you know, there's just a ball that drops into the pit of your stomach and you're like, what's next? Because the ending is done and you've moved into the second phase, which I call the blue phase. And that is really the time when you start to say, I'm not that anymore. And so that's where that grieving comes in. You know, I'm not that, but I don't know who I am. And so it's a time of disorientation, of a liminal phase of in-between, right? Yes. The phase I call the no man's land. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. You're not you're not in one place and not in the other. It's almost like, or you could say you've crossed a river, you're somewhere in the middle. You've left the one shore, but you haven't reached the other one. And it's a strange, as you said, it's a bit of a disorientating place to be. Very disorienting. And, and I like to describe it like thinking about in the olden days when we had, you know, cocktail parties and social events and, and you would go and you would introduce yourself and you would describe yourself and I'm this and I'm this and I'm this because you knew very clearly, you know, who you were. And when you're in this phase, you don't really want to go to those social kinds of things because you don't know how to describe yourself anymore. You don't know the skin that you're in. And what can happen here is that it is uncomfortable and people in an effort to avoid the discomfort say, you know what? I'm okay. I'm just going to move through this. I'm going to start this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And they go out and they're busy, busy, busy trying new things, avoiding the feeling and the discomfort. And I call that the yellow zone. It's just a little side trip out of the blue zone. (laughs) And then what happens often is that you cannot keep up that pace of avoiding. It takes a lot of energy to keep pushing those feelings away and you find yourself back in the blue zone and saying, okay, now it's time, you know, to really explore what I've left behind. And then in that process of rest and letting go and grieving and being alone and journaling, and there's so many things that you can do to support you in that, eventually ideas start to spark. Creativity starts to make itself known. And there's ideas of, well, I could do that. You know, I have more time now. I could do this. And I always wanted to try that. I could do that. And eventually you start to coalesce into a vision. And that's when you've moved into what I call the pink zone. And this is the time of creativity, of just imagining I could do all of these things. And eventually you have more clarity around where you want to move to and you form a plan and that takes you into the green zone of manifesting and coming up with how am I going to get from where I am right now to where I want to be. And that's the last stage of making that a reality. And just to make it clear, it's not like we move from, you know, one stage to the next and the next and the next and you're done. This is an ongoing process, right? Yeah, like you jump around. <laughs> of course. I mean, I think we, there's a lot of feeling lost, I think, being yeah. carried in the middle. Absolutely. And it's not supported because other people don't understand what you're going through. The, the society is still powering on in its youth obsessed way. And here you are. And we are very focused on 
doing mode. Every action, every thought has to have an, a goal and an outcome. And that can feel very conflicting, can't it, Karen, when we are actually needing to rest and let go. Yes, absolutely. And it's one of the biggest challenges, I think, in that no man's land, as you called it, where the people around you are saying, you're not done with this yet. You know, aren't you ready to go out? It's like if somebody's gone through a divorce and it's been a month and you have friends saying, hey, isn't it time for you to start dating? <laughs> you know, it's like, can we let you grieve a little bit? And that's an uncomfortable thing in our society, in our culture to allow people the space for that. And so you, you kind of need to claim it for yourself and to find people around you who are going to support you in that and just be there with you and allow you to take the time that you need in each one of these stages. Yes. And there are a lot of endings and new beginnings, aren't there, in this time of life for women? So, so many, which is very exciting. I, I mentioned that I teach at the university level. I teach in the program that I graduated in for transpersonal psychology, and I teach the practicum courses. So I get to see all the ways that people are going to be using this education in the world. But I will tell you that by far, most of the students that are coming through this program are women in midlife who are saying, I have a vision and this is where I'm moving towards. And it's very, for me, it's very hopeful. It's very exciting to see so many women claiming that for themselves. Absolutely. And I think possibly that's to do with the fact that we've pressed pause for a very long time in our own needs. Yes, absolutely. I mean, what mother has not done this? I have a I have a good story about that for me. It was like when my kids were gone, I was like, oh, finally, all those things that I've been, you know, not even allowing myself to consider doing because there, there's no time. Now I can finally do them. And I honestly could not think of what I wanted to do. I had forgotten how to even know what I wanted to do. We call it in psychosynthesis, the impulse desire function. And as women, we have to shut that down so often in order to support all of those in our lives. And in this time in life, we start to wake that up again. It's like, what do I want to do? Oh my gosh, I can actually do things I want to do but it takes a little bit of effort. Yes, it does. It does. And I totally empathize with that because, you know, as a single mother and working in a corporate job and plowing on, I mean, there was very little time for me. It wasn't until he actually went on a gap year and was working and stuff. And I was like, oh, so what is it I'm supposed to do now? I don't drive him anywhere. I'm way, probably waiting for him to come in in some ungodly hour, but... <laughs> But apart from that, he ate his own meals, he did his own things, and his requirement of me was very small. And yet, you know, I'd spent 18 years doing everything for him. And it, I had to learn to step back and ask myself, well, what, what do you want to do, Clarissa? What, what are you supposed to be doing? And then I just had twirling thoughts. And it's probably taken a good few years for those to work through. Yes. And I think that that's such a important point. It's 
this is not something that necessarily is going to happen in two or three months, right? Because menopause, you know, it takes time. We are invited to take a few years to make this transition. And for me, it was about five to six years. And it wasn't like I was, you know, in the beginning stage during that. I hopped around. I did things back and forth until I found more clarity. But it was a time of fun and excitement, too, of trying things and things not working, you know, it, all of the emotions. And not only excitement, it was the both and of <laughs> all of it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and and a lot of that. And I think allowing that is very powerful, isn't it? To allow those emotions to unfold. Yes, because again, this is more wisdom, you know, again, in to the in, indigenous cultures, during this time of moving from the time of the mothering years, we would step into a, a term that we in our society disrespect so much, but it's the time of cronehood. And this is a well-respected, highly respected position in these cultures because you have so much wisdom, but you continue, you understand how important it is to continue to grow, to continue to see because you have the ability to see more and to see more clearly and to have the vision of how to use what you are gathering and what others are gathering. And so we take all of these lessons along the way as we're creating this new vision of our life. And it just is, it's more grist for the mill. Yes, I love that. And I think that we have so much to learn from Indigenous cultures, haven't we? Yes, yes. In fact, it really is something that is speaking to me very strongly right now of how can we as a culture begin to create ceremony and ritual to support women in moving through this in a way that, you know, becomes the, reaches the flashpoint and, and that becomes a part of our culture, you know, that we support women. So the importance of this is that in this ceremony, the elders, those who have gone through it before, teach you and tell you what you are saying goodbye to and what you are stepping into. So it is defining for you more of what is happening. And as you said, you know, with our mothers and our grandmothers, this was happening in secret. Like nobody was talking about menopause. You didn't even say the word, right? And so now that it is the conversation is becoming public, it is time, I believe, to create this holding place, this ceremony to support us in what we need to do to say goodbye and let go and to step into what we can be. I couldn't agree more. I think we have no way of allowing that. I mean, we've we've got baby showers, we've got bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, we have in different cultures, different things, but we've lost that or we've maybe never had it. It's hard for us to know because it's so deeply back in our history. This sense that moving into this period of life is beautiful, is a whole new life. I mean, Japanese call it the second spring. Yes, 
I love that. I love that because it is like that. It feels there's so much creative energy. There's so much growth and newness of new ways of being. It is definitely like a springtime. Oh, I love that. Yes. And it's a springtime with wisdom. It's like Earth knows what, and the Mother Earth knows what to do. We come with spring, but it's spring as it's coming out here where I live. There's a continuity like we know, we understand it's spring again and life again. And it's not like new, new. It's not like when we're teenagers or or in our early 20s. That's a, a very different kind of spring for a woman. Yes, absolutely. It is the newness of of like a newborn, right? Everything is new and exciting and you're not limited by what has happened before because you don't know that. So it's a very different one. We have the wisdom and the perspective of what we have seen and experienced and what we have learned from that and can apply that into this whole second half of our lives. And there is so much richness and ability to create and to serve. And I see that as a key aspect for many, many women as they're creating this vision of what they want to do in this second half of their life. It's how can I serve? How can I bring healing to the world in one way or another? You know, there is this heart of we have raised our children. We have served them. How can we take that servant heart and apply it to the world? Yes. And and we see that time and time again with public figures and with just women in our own communities. There is this deep sense that we're here to give back to our community in whatever way. I don't think there's that each person has their own unique way of doing that. Exactly, exactly. There's a children's book that I love called Miss Rumpheus. We always called it the Lupin Lady, but the story is that this woman's uncle, when she was a child, had said, you know, you need to make the world a more beautiful place. And so she traveled the world. She never married or had children, but then she heard her back and she came home and she still had this charge that she had been given to, in some way, make the world a more beautiful place. And she was looking out the window and saw something and it gave her the idea. She ordered huge bags of lupin seeds and then went out walking and threw the seeds everywhere. And the next spring, everything bloomed, you know, and it's, it's just such a beautiful story because it was that time in her life, right? It was when she had come back with all this wisdom and had this final, you know, charge that she needed to do of bringing beauty into the world in some way. And we all have our own way of doing that. Absolutely. And I think that That's almost happening in many ways by default and the old style of, oh, we're going to just enjoy ourselves or play golf seems to be fading. Not that there's anything wrong with doing those things, but there seems to be that that is being superseded by so many older women going out there, becoming coaches, becoming teachers, doing community work, writing books, driving change on different levels. Yes. I agree. Absolutely. Doing podcasts like like you are, Clarissa, which is amazing because it is a way to share wisdom. There is a creative arc in that also that is of service and so needed. Yes. And I think older women drop ego 
I believe you're right. It's a very different one because, right, we're, we're told you're not attractive anymore, by the way, you know, <laughs> by, by the way, just in case you thought you were, you're not. So, so you, you kind of like get to let that go, you know, which is nice. And it's not, it's not to say you're not attractive. It's just that, oh, I don't have to define myself anymore in that way. No, I think that's a hard, that's actually quite hard for some women because sometimes, and that's part of this transition is that for some women, their power-based looks have taken them a very long way forward, rightly or wrongly. I mean, we can't, we're not here to say society has to change, yes, but the way it's been, that if you have been a very attractive woman, then there is grieving for that and also the fact that that shifts the power base that you may have once had. Right. And I think that gets back to that ideal model concept, right? It's letting go of that old ideal model, which my value, you know, is based on how I look or that it gets me in the door and I'm using that. Good for you. Go for it. You know, we use the tools that we have and to realize now that's not as strong of a tool, but I have other tools. And so redefining that ideal model of I I have other tools that are equally or more strong than that one that I used for many years. Exactly. And I love, I love that we can actually learn that process. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And it is hard. I, I found that part very hard where all of a sudden the clothes that felt so comfortable and you felt really good in no longer worked. And it was like, what am I supposed to even wear? You know, I, I don't even have clothes I can wear anymore in the middle of all this. <laughs> no. And I think we're certainly shaking off the style that people in the, until recently in the fashion industry and more wanted to give us. We're saying no to those. We're defining a new style, our style. And if you don't want to do it for us, we'll do it for ourselves. Yes. And I, I believe that there are women in midlife who have said, this is my service. And that is a much needed service, right? If you guys won't make it, we're going to make it for ourselves and it's going to work for us. Because my mom tells the story of when she was going through this time in life that she had many friends who would go out and buy the old, you know, pastel colored elastic waist pants and wear them backwards because they had more space for their stomach, their tummy in the front and their, you know, their rears had gone away. So they just flipped them around. And that's like, that's so wrong. that You know, it's just wrong that there weren't clothes that were made to fit this age of women, which is a very large market at this point. So it is. That's, I love that story. That's just so funny. It's a good, it really is. It's so good. You know, you can imagine, you can imagine us doing that. And, and sure, well, yes. Yeah. You know, I love the creativity of problem solving that though. It's like, I, I don't sew, I need clothes to wear. I'm going to solve that problem, you know? So they did. <laughs> oh, so there's one other area that I see really coming to the fore in this time in life, and that is our spiritual selves. And I think that for many of us who have this as a, a key part of our lives, and yet even that had to take 
more of a back seat during the busy years of career and raising children and, you know, being 100% focused on others, that is a key thing that many of us find as a focus in this second half of life is that, okay, this has always been there. I've always known that this is something that is key to a complete and full life. And now again, I find my path to that and that enriches my life in so many ways. And for many of us, it is a way that we find into our vision, into this is what a full life looks like for me. Yes. And it's an unfolding. It's for some people, it's finding spirituality for the first time in their life, isn't it, Karen? Yes, it really is. It really is. And or the the spirituality that works for you. Because for many people, they were raised in, you know, some religious tradition of their family. And in midlife or in early adult life, they left that, they took a step away from it because it didn't work for them. And then in this time of life, they explore and find this is the spiritual path that really does support me, that works for me, that has meaning for me. I know. I remember that. And that makes me recall somebody when I was training as an IRS yoga nidra teacher. There was a lady there and she had become a Catholic. And she wasn't born a Catholic. She was a fair bit older than we were, but she'd found a, in Catholicism and not so much in the, in all the pomp, but in the quietness, the, some of the retreat. Yeah. The contemplative arm of Catholicism, which is a rich, rich tradition. Oh, yes. Yes. The silent retreats, the time to use prayer to really anchor ourselves. And that was, had really drawn her in and she, lots of people were babbling on the young people on about Buddhism and this, that and the other. She said, no, it's not different in the Catholic faith. You just think it is. And then she was really, you know, sharing that side of it and what it had meant for her. Now as an older woman, of course, I see how that was also part of her spiritual journey at that time of life. Yeah. Beautiful. And that's, I mean, that's just such a great example of, you know, find for many people, they left the Catholic Church because of what happens during the Mass and, you know, the it didn't feed them. And yet there are so many other choices in Catholicism of different paths that you can go. But the, the world is wide in terms of spiritual traditions, which is one of the things that I love about transpersonal psychology is that we explore all of the different paths of the spiritual life. And we find how they all lead to the same place in one way or another, right? So it's just finding the one that speaks to your heart and claiming that. And the, the richness of this time in life is that we have the time for that. We have the time for prayer and meditation and silent retreats or, you know, gospel choirs, you know, whatever it is, we have the time to make that an important part of our life and our journey. Yeah, and even sitting quietly, contemplatively for 10 minutes, which is incredibly hard for a lot of people. It, some days it is really hard, and other days it's like, oh, 10 minutes. <laughs> it is, but I think we find communion in some way with some higher being. Yes, yeah. We do. Yes, for sure, and I think 
that that is an outgrowth of that second stage, that liminal no man's land, when we find the power of quiet and being alone and we start to hear that still small voice, right? And we understand that that inner guru is there by whatever name we know it, that 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 wisdom is there just waiting for us to claim the quiet time to listen and to hear. It is. Karen, if you had to sum up some key steps to the transition, beside the the stages you named, when a woman is coming into this menopausal phase, what would those be? I think that the key thing is to really embrace this as an invitation to create this next stage in life to be one that fills you with purpose and joy and meaning and really realizing this is the time for you to claim that for yourself. Karen, that's so beautiful. I think this is a subject that is rich and deep and and wide and we could talk forever on different aspects. I think I think we could, Clarissa. <laughs> Oh, it's it has been a joy to have you on the show. Would you like to share with the listeners where they can connect with you and learn more about your work? Yes, I have a website, Karen Randall Coaching, and it's R-A-N-D-A-L-L, KarenRandallCoaching.com. And on the front page in the upper right corner, there is a little opt-in button that has a video, it's about eight minutes long, that talks about the stages of transition with ideas that you can use to support yourself in each one of those stages. And so I really invite you to look at that and to take that in and use that in in any ways. And then my events and ways to contact me are all on my website. Karen, that is wonderful. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast and giving my listeners an insight into transition and the power that lies within us. Oh, Clarissa, thank you. It has been a joy to be here and to share this time with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have loved or liked this episode, then I would be deeply grateful if you would head over to iTunes give it a five-star rating. My mission is to reach as many women as possible, menopausal midlife women who may be feeling alone and asking questions. Why do I feel this way? Thriving Through Menopause is all about a community and our collective wisdom. You matter to me. Your feedback, opinions and stories matter to me. And I would love to hear from you. So drop me an email, clarissa at clarissachristensen.com. I genuinely want your feedback and your ideas on the topics that you would like to hear more of on this podcast. And if you are a woman who feels that they are struggling alone through menopause and you need more support, pop over to my website, clarissachristensen.com. You can find free resources and you can book a one-to-one discovery call with me. Let's start conversation. Thank you once again for listening.
Bread aisle, are you ready to rock? Dave's Killer Bread is the country's number one organic bread for a reason. Always delivering killer taste, killer texture, and killer nutrition. This isn't bread. This is bread amplified. 